0: This is alex granados reporter for education nc and this is ed talk today i am sitting here with representative craig horn republican representing union county he is a chairman of the house education appropriations committee as well as a chairman of the house k-12 education committee correct and that that's the policy committee whereas the other one is the money committee right And uh, he's here today to talk about the house budget, which finally cleared the house this morning. So welcome, Representative Horn. Well, thank you very much, Alex. It's certainly a pleasure to be here with you. So um, the big ticket items have been covered extensively, salary increases for teachers, uh, salary increases for
1: principals. So let's just review those a little bit to start. Salary increases for teachers were as we say around here, front page top of the fold, the number one agenda item for the house and not just for the house for the general Assembly. we are determined to be competitive with our salaries for teachers in North Carolina. We are embarrassed really. Uh, I will say for me, ashamed of the fact that our teachers have been paid among the the poor, the most poorly in the in the country we have failed to provide raises as as uh, time went on in fact teachers went backwards for a while as inflation and other costs went up I remember in uh, early on in my tenure in the house when we started asking pe- teachers to pay for part of their insurance coverage we've uh, when we arrived or when I arrived in the North Carolina General Assembly in 2011 I was shocked to find that we were nearly three billion dollars overspent I'm coming in really in the middle of a fiscal year, and we're three billion dollars in the hole, facing the the gargantuan task of writing a new budget. Where do you find three billion dollars? I don't think there's many rocks big enough under which we might find three billion dollars. At the same time, we were advised that the state was maxed out on its borrowing capacity, and we were trying, desperately trying, to come out of a recession and In fact, we were really in the heart of the recession at that point. So the only answer was cut, cut, and more cuts. And we did. It was painful. It was embarrassing. It was awful. But we did what we had to do. I'm sorry we had to do it, but we had to do it. Now we've begun to turn the ship. The economy is improving. Uh, The economic outlook is pretty good in North Carolina and in the country. We have done a number of things that are going to help to increase, in my view, increase revenues going forward. The old idea of lowering the rate, broadening the base has resulted in increased income for the state. We, when we're coming into this year with a surplus, the the problem with the surplus is it's non recurring funds. It's not recurring funds. You don't hire people and give raises on non-recurring funds. So we had to do some, I don't want to call it manipulating because that has a bad kind of connotation, but I'll say we had to do some adjustments. And there were some things that we would that we moved from recurring to non-recurring because we were determined to get pay raises, get real money in the pockets of our teachers.
0: And so let's talk about some of the details of the pay raise okay. uh, between zero and 5% uh, increases for teachers and also include some bonuses. Uh, if you could just lay out the,
1: the details of it for you. Okay. Us. The, as you know, we have focused on our beginning teachers for the last couple of years. That was the number one priority. We were not getting new teachers into the system. With a rapidly growing student population, We frankly, we needed new teachers. We needed them badly. When we were paying teachers at 30 grand a year, we weren't getting, we weren't very competitive in the, in the labor market. Uh, teachers would come out of, of teacher prep programs and say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to drive down the road here to South Carolina or drive up the road to North Carolina and and get that, uh, get more money. I'm going to not work in our rural counties. I'm going to work in our urban counties where we have good, good supplements. So that wasn't making the trip. We, therefore, we've we put a heavy emphasis early on in our early, ch- our, on the early years of our teacher uh, tenure. Well then, so now we're to a point where, where we're bleeding and, and where it's unfair is our mid-range teachers, those that are in the middle of their careers, that they now have kind of learned the ropes they're at their most productive time. And we're not, we ha- they haven't enjoyed any raises, or much in a way raises. So what we did is we moved. As you, well, first of all, let me remind you we moved from a 36-step pay system to a six-step pay system. So with the new salary schedule, we increased our our five to five to nine-year tenured teachers, those that have been there five to nine years, from thirty thousand eight hundred in 2013-14. That that Pay raise is now thirty-eight thousand. In and in when you go from the up to ten years, when you make that uh, turn, the teacher pay raise pay went from thirty-five thousand eight hundred and thirteen fourteen to now it will be uh, forty-two thousand in fifteen in sixteen seventeen. So as you look through down the line, every other than the beginning teachers, every step has a pay raise in it. So those teachers, in fact, that are going, let's say, from step nine, from nine years service to ten years service, at nine years service they were making last year base pay thirty six thousand five hundred. They will go now to the next step, and that, which is at ten years, and their pay will go forty two thousand dollars that's a fifteen percent increase for those particular teachers i'm not saying that's a large number of teachers but for that group so it's a combination of of steps and and years of experience which are in fact tied to years of experience and and in what category they're in. the teachers that have been with us the longest those that have been with us 25 or 30 years who've gotten pretty much nothing and not pretty much nothing they've gotten all practical purposes, nothing not only will the 25 year and we'll use that as an example to 25 year serve of service teachers will go from 45,150 in 1314 to 51,000 in 1617 plus they will get another thousand dollar bonus and that thousand dollars will also impact their retirement that same story is true for teachers with 30 years or more. They'll go from $48,360 and 1314 to 51000 and get the $1,000 bonus. So we're trying to true up the schedule, be fair, reward those teachers that have stuck with us and whose mentoring capacity for our young teachers is tremendous. We heavily depend on our veterans. We want to start rewarding them. And the overall goal, the overall goal, is to get North Carolina to lead the Southeast in teacher pay. Now that's that's a big stretch. Georgia's paying their teachers at 50, the $54,000 average. Well, this pay raise is going to move us to slightly under 50. So we still got a ways to go. It's going to be a, a tough road to go, but we honestly believe we can be there. We believe we'll be over $50,000 average pay within two years or within the next budget cycle. And then we can maybe hit that, get the, to that number one spot in the following budget cycle. But I'm no, not ignorant of the fact that other states will be moving their pay system as well. So it's it's a tough slog where we desperately need this good economy to continue. We desperately need to keep doing the kinds of things on, on the revenue front that will bring in more jobs, bring in more business, spread the opportunities for more of our people, put them to work, because when they go to work and get a paycheck, they pay taxes. And that gives us more revenue. That's a bit of a a circle, if you will.
0: So you mentioned it a little bit, but just for the benefit of our listeners, teachers in the first five years won't get a pay increase, but they do get a $1,000 bonus that counts towards retirement.
1: Retirement, that's that's correct. okay. Okay. And, and at the other end, and then there are no bonuses paid at the five, 10, 15, and 20 year uh, breaks, steps, but all of them receive substantial raises.
0: Okay. And then uh, you guys have also been working uh, in the budget on raises for principals and assistant principals. Correct. Um, so if
1: you talk a little bit about that. Our principals and assistant principals, who I got to tell you, I think, I think things are, were tough with teachers. Principals and assistant principals are the lowest paid in the country. That's terrible. Those are the people that actually hire the teachers in the school. It's a principal's assistant principals that, that set the culture and the nature of how things work in a school. We've got to do significant improvements for our principals, assistant principals, and we haven't done enough yet. We but we will increase their pay by 2% for over the 1516 amount and, so, and principal, assistant principals, any of those that do not get a step increase because of, of how the steps are organized will get a $500 bonus. So we're, we're working toward it. we got a long way to go. But Alex, there's a whole lot more to attracting and retaining quality people in our schools than, than paychecks. We've got to do a lot of other things. We've got to make the environment more conducive And more supportive of our teachers in the classroom. We must make classroom teaching a profession unto itself and not force our teachers that are good in the classroom but want to grow in their profession, force them out of the classroom and into management or staff positions. So that means we have to to, to improve how we uh, support them with supplies and digital resources, textbooks, as well as other supplies, tape, chalk, pencils, we hear stories all the time of teachers taking money out of their own pocket to to get copies of certain materials. That should never happen. It does. I'm not ignorant of the fact it does. So we've got to con- make the entire teaching career, the process, more friendly to the teacher and support these professionals because they have the future in their hands. And I make no mistake about that. I worry about it every day
0: towards that point, you, there's money in this budget for, for additional money in the budget for um, digital, text, dig, digital resources right. and, and textbooks and, and that sort of thing.
1: We added $11.7 to our uh, textbooks and digital resources, bringing that, that particular appropriation up to $73 million. Now, that's, that's not the highest it's ever been, but it's a long way from where it was just three or four years ago. So we continue to add money in textbooks, supplies, digital resources, and equally as important in professional development. Goodness knows professional development is not how to fill out another form on a checklist. Professional development is improving the skills of professionals. There isn't a professional in anything, and that includes radio announcers, that doesn't want to improve their skills as a professional, we've got to help them do that with quality professional development. That's not cheap. That's not cheap. We've got to invest in quality professional development, particularly in the digital education arena, which is an enigma to many of us. So an old guy like me who still has a VCR that flashes 12, I need my grandson to know how to fix that thing. We have a breakdown, in my view, a breakdown of what the digital environment means in education. There are those of us in the legislature, those of us across North Carolina that believe that the digital education environment is nothing more than stuffing a textbook into a laptop. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is the kids today know more about how to use the digital environment than do the teachers. Sadly, the teachers know more about how to use it than do the teachers teaching the teachers to be teachers. We've got the paradigm upside down. We need to provide that kind of support and training for our teachers and for our teaching institutions on how to utilize a digital environment, how to utilize uh, not just, well, Google it or check out Wikipedia, but how to use all of the media that's available through these marvelous gadgets in order to enhance the learning experience, in order to communicate. Remember the old adage you remember 20 times more of what you see than what you hear. Reading is critical. Using videos for teaching for the as part of the teaching experience and therefore the learning experience is critical. All that is at our fingertips at our very fingertips with laptops and digital devices. So we need to incorporate that into the learning process. It's going to enhance the learning for kids because they can relate much more easily it's going to en- enhance the learning process for teachers they can now direct individual kids to that to the kind of work or help or support that works for them now it's going to put a lot more responsibility on teachers they're going to have to be on top of their game as to what's available and to be able to critique what's available because there's a lot available and not all of it's good and not all of it works for everyone a lot of heavy lifting ahead, but we're we're working well, we're committed to that end of using the digital, digital environment and, and fundamentally changing how we deliver education in
0: North Carolina. In addition to training teachers, training principals is also important and it's uh, something that you believe wholeheartedly in. And uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the principal prep program. Uh, an additional $8.5 million was, was originally slated right. to be in the House budget. Um, after an uh, amendment to the budget, it lost a million of that uh, to scholarships for UNC um, Medical School? Uh, right. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Right. Um, so tell me about the principal prep program and, and also talk a little bit about uh, the reduction in funding
1: um, and what you think about that. Well, with regard to the principal prep program, we recognize the important role of principals in our schools. They're the ones that actually hire and, of course, fire teachers. They're the ones that set the pace, if you will, in the school, set the environment in the school. So we need to help them become better at their profession. So we have expanded the principal prep pro- program. There was a million dollars in it. We've now added eight and a half more million dollars to a preparation to keep them keep and and improve our principals in the schools. Now this is in conjunction with the UNC system to uh, and, and our independent colleges and universities as well that can participate so that we improve the training of principals. It's a different skill set being a principal than being a teacher. I think we can all acknowledge that. When, As a principal, you've got to manage assets, human assets and physical assets. You've got to determine, make lots of very difficult and sometimes pretty tedious decisions. Simple things like, should we close school early because of a weather alert? Uh, do we delay the buses? What about uh, the cafeteria? Discipline issues. Oh my goodness gracious. All of those fall on the backs of the principal. That's a tough job, and at the same time, they're trying to keep their teachers motivated and on track and hold their, their teachers accountable, so they've got to be intimately familiar with teacher progress and, and and what's happening in the classroom. Goodness, we ask a lot of our teachers today, well, a lot of our teachers, we ask a lot of our principals today, today in the school is not like when I was in school or even when you were in school. It's a different age. These kids are wired differently than you and I. And sadly, the home front is not so good. And I'm speaking generally. We have high-performing schools. And it's interesting to note that the correlation between high-performing schools and parental involvement is very high. And the correlation between between low-performing schools and lack of parental involvement is very high. If we're gonna attract and retain high quality teachers that can deal with those those low performing schools, those underserved kids that come to school with nothing more than their hands jammed into empty pockets, we've got to prepare these teachers and prepare these principals to the very best of our ability and then reward them for progress. Which leads me into another piece in the budget, which is our, our piece to determine uh, uh, or establish advanced teaching rules and new compensation models. We used to call that uh, differentiated pay, but it's really much more than differentiated pay. We're going to pilot, we're going to develop, a th- or we're going to put on an RFP for a three-year pilot for to three different uh, sizes of LEAs to come up with new concepts on how we take advantage of those teachers that us hesitate say take advantage how about better utilize those teachers that have extra special skills whether it's management skills or pedagogy skills and reward them for sharing those skills with other teachers We know that certain te- that some teachers can handle more kids in a classroom than other teachers We also know that if we have let's say a master teacher working with two or three uh, uh, new teachers, that that master teacher can, can parlay their efforts, multiply their efforts. So the master teacher, let's say the master teacher could be responsible for 150 kids, but that master teacher may have five new teachers working with them, each of whom handle 30 kids. But the master teacher is still ultimately responsible and can move from classroom to classroom. And, and that, what happens there is the kids benefit from a master teacher and then new teachers benefit from a na- master teacher. Well, that's a concept that we need to parlay. Let's, let's ha- let the LEAs and the teachers themselves figure out some, some good systems for us to do that. And let's then pay those teachers that take on additional responsibilities more money, as well as developing whole models and, how we're, again, how we deliver education. It's no longer the sage on the stage. It's no longer lecture, test, and two weeks later, result. It's a whole new dynamic in the classroom. And we need to take advantage of everyone's best skill set. And that's what this advanced teaching, uh, teaching roles and teacher compensation model program, I think, will do.
0: Uh, I want to go back for just a minute to the principal prep program. So I, I just want to clarify for people what the money is for. There, there was money last session to kind of uh, get the organization that is going to run the whole program off the ground. And so the money this session, which ended up being $7.5 million, that's going to be used as grants for the organizations
1: that are actually going to conduct the principal Correct. prep. Correct. And we'll have the the, uh, the state board. will work with the UNC system. The developer parameters will issue RFP. Who's got some ideas and and start to implement those programs through grants to a, to a significantly improve teacher edu- teacher and principal education.
0: And the one other thing I wanted to ask in regards to principals is I also saw in the budget and this doesn't involve money, but a, a joint legislative study committee to study the teacher or teacher principal salary schedule, which is an interesting topic to me because it, it's one I wrote a lot about. Um, at the beginning of my time with Education NC. um, We chronicled the many problems with the principal salary schedule, including principals waiting up to 10 years or more in some cases to get a salary increase. um, Principals being paid less than the teachers that they oversee and things of that nature. So it looks like um, we might possibly have a study committee that's gonna look at this and find a new way to do the principal salary schedule or principal pay.
1: That's correct. We're, we're going to work closely with our friends in the Senate to ensure that we continue to uh, not just revisit, but rework the principal sc- salary schedule. How do you attract someone who has the capacity to be a principal? Oh, uh, how do you attract them into that position if they got to lose, take a pay cut? Well, you don't, is the final answer. We've got to we've got to stop penalizing people for success. That's crazy. So I think that we will find that that this proposal will be met uh, very favorably by our friends in the Senate. We will get this looked at in depth, get lots of good input, not only from across North Carolina, but from across the country, and then come back in a long session and implement a completely revised principal pay system. So everything
0: we've talked about up to this point, I believe I've reported on already, But I haven't reported on everything in the education budget. There are many things, and it's impossible to cover it all. So what are some things that that people aren't talking about that
1: you think they should be paying attention to? Well, I think we've got a couple of pretty cool things in this budget, one of which is NC Star. And that's our North Carolina Scholarship for Teacher Advancement and Retention. Now, this concept, some will say, is it's nothing more than reheating teaching fellows. No, it's not at all. This is a, a really a new concept. Teaching Fellows is a, was a great program. And I'd love to have Teaching Fellows as it was right back where it was. Yes. But the, the purpose of this North Carolina STAR program is to target hard to fill positions. So getting young teachers to come in on a forgivable loan or scholarship basis and that when they agree to teach for five years in hard to staff places now, I hesitated on that word places because what I'm talking about when it comes to hard to staff is some schools are hard to staff because they're they're out in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. That's nowhere for maybe for new teachers, but it's somewhere for the kids because that's their home. But there's not a lot in some of our most rural districts to attract and retain quality teachers. So we're going, so that's part of it. If you'll commit to, to staffing schools in these rural areas, we also have hard to staff schools that are right in the middle of big cities because they're tough schools. There's some tough kids out there. And it's going to take a teacher really on their on their game to get through to these kids. A teacher like James Ford, the former North Carolina Teacher of the Year at Geringer High. Geringer High is a tough place. Tough place. But he had the wherewithal to figure it out. And We need to be able to to attract and retain more James Fords in our schools across the state. The other part is we're short of biology teachers. We're short of physics teachers. We're short of chemistry teachers. They're another hard to staff area. Well, it's a competitive business. We need to be able to attract those people because it's, you teach because you love to teach, but you don't want to have to go to the poorhouse because you love to teach. So those people that could Go out and, and actually earn more money but are driven to teach. Well, we need to find a way to reward them. That's the, the concept behind NC Star, and as well as that melds into the advanced teaching models and compensation models that I talked about earlier. So I think you're going to hear more about NC Star. It is a program that was actually developed by some by a, a group of teachers and principals. Uh, they came to me with this idea, and I said, Well, that makes huge amounts of sense and i love the concept We, our teachers are our stars and we we want to make all of our new teachers stars another interesting little this is a, a bit of a little program but it's a scalable that i think it's going to be fun and productive it's called muddy sneakers what it, it's a it's a program targeted at fifth graders very impressionable age fifth graders to get them out of the classroom in, into nature to get them to to a hands-on discovery process. What Muddy Sneakers will do is it appropriates uh, $500,000 so that LEAs or schools can implement the Muddy Sneakers program, which is now in, I believe, four counties in the West. Um, they they target underserved communities where kids just don't have the access or the wherewithal to get out to our, na- our national, our state parks, and and enjoy the wonders of nature, but learn from them. It's a very STEM-oriented science, technology. Um, uh, <laughs> just forgot what STEM meant: science, technology, engineering, and math. It's a very oriented to STEM uh, and science. Get them out five times a year into the environment. They gain an appreciation. They gain a perspective. And the data on, from Muddy Sneakers has been incredible as to how much better these kids perform, not only in fifth grade but going further because they have a new point of reference, have a new experience. It's eye opening. So we're very proud of the Muddy Sneakers program. And of course, I haven't talked at all about my favorite subject, which is digital education. Now, I talked earlier about the need to move in that direction. So what specifically are we doing about digital education? As you may recall, we embraced the digital learning plan developed by a combination of outside resources. The Friday Institute at uh, at NC State and DPI developed the digital learning plan. So we're going to continue to fund the digital learning plan, which has several pieces to it. First and foremost, we're putting $11.6 million into textbooks and digital resources. We're moving away from textbooks, not just in this state, but all across the country. We all know that the moment you hand a student a textbook, it's out of date. It's out of date when it hits the warehouse. So by moving into that digital environment, digital resources, getting away from those 70 pound book bags to uh, to digital textbooks, which can be updated at the snap of a finger. We are making progress uh, that is critical to the, to outcomes for our students. We're going to put a million dollars into managing the whole process of digital so that we're not going in every different direction all at the same time. A million, four hundred thousand dollars into school leadership development within the digital environment. Another $4 million in professional development and teacher learning competency. Another $500,000 in literacy skills and evaluations. We've got to know how we're doing. We don't want to just throw money at something without some measuring stick. And finally, we need to manage all these devices. Some of our LEAs have bring your own device. Some LEAs provide devices. There's a mix and match of devices. But there needs to be a management system put in so we have... I have uh, marked, uh, of the $21 million in digital funding, we've marked $2,500,000 for management of the the mobile device uh, arena for our kids. I couldn't be more excited. North Carolina leads the nation in connectivity. We're gonna lead the nation in a digital environment. We're gonna have our kids prepared for the 22nd century. Kids today are gonna take us to Mars, They're going to cure cancer. They're going to help old people like me. They're going to invent the next iPad or a device I can't even imagine. The challenge, Alex, is I'm told that 60% of the kids in high school today will be eventually doing a job that has not yet been invented. How do you prepare a kid for a job that hasn't even been invented? Now, the simple answer is you learn all you can about all you can. But we need to have our kids on the front end of technology, not trailing behind. Or we need to fill existing needs and projected needs, not 19th century needs. We need to be ahead of the curve, not with the curve, and certainly not behind it. And that's what this investment investment in digital technology will do for North Carolina.
0: So the, like I said earlier, the budget passed the House this morning, which means it's going to move on to the Senate. And um, so there's something else in the budget I want to ask you about because I think it will relate directly to how this budget is received in the Senate. Um, and this is in regards to literacy coaches. Um, there's money money in the House budget. should for have lit- said that. Uh, I'll let you talk about them, but okay. I want to ask you kind of a more political question okay. first. So there's money in the budget for literacy coaches, and there was a reduction of money um, – for uh, first and second grade reading camps, which is uh, part of the Read to Achieve program. And then also um, the money that's being used for the literacy coaches was taken from the money that was going to be used to reduce the class size um, by one in in first grade. Uh, Now, the reason I think this is a political question and relates to the Senate is that the class size reduction was was one of the, the Senate's contributions to the budget. Uh, It was uh, last session, and it was originally much more ambitious and kind of got whittled down to to this just, uh, you know, one class size reduction in first grade. And Read to Achieve is also a big uh, Senate program. And so uh, by reducing money in one and eliminating money in the other, I'm curious how you think this move is going to be received in the Senate.
1: Well, I'm the eternal optimist. So I will say to you, Read to Achieve, read by third grade, whatever you want to call it is one of the most critical programs we have in this state and in the nation. The data is crystal clear about what happens to a kid that hasn't achieved reading competency by the end of third grade. The prospects of that child are not good at all. So that that's the goal. The goal of Read to Achieve, the goal of reading camps, the goal of reduced class sizes, the goal, the reason for all of that stuff was to get kids reading by the end of third grade. As we look at across the country for good ideas, and we see that there are states that have implemented reading coaches, but here we call them literacy coaches, implemented those coaches in the lower grades that the results are spectacular in outcome as with outcomes if the goal is to get those our kids especially our underserved kids reading by the end of third grade reading coaches i e literacy coaches will further will move us much further and much more quickly toward that goal than will reducing first grade classes by one student per teacher almost negligible or, and if uh, these reading coaches actually do what we think they're going to do, and the data shows they'll do, we're not going to need those extra reading camps. So let's put our money right where it achieves the goal. And the Senate clearly set out the goal. Read to achieve, that goal is clear. And we want to do everything we can to help the Senate achieve the goals of read to achieve. And we think this does that we're hopeful that the senate will see it the same way we do and and not just embrace literacy coaches but in fact enhance and expand literacy coaches we had the money to focus literacy coaches in our 20% lowest performing schools i'd like to see literacy coaches in all of our schools because once a literacy coach is in that school they're helping teachers teach they can also be helping teachers in fourth and fifth grade who missed the curve on Read to Achieve and are struggling. And we can't go back and say, oh, now that you're in fifth, we need to pull you back to the third grade. No, we're not gonna do that. By putting those literacy coaches in school, it raises the bar for everyone. Now, I
0: will say, I talked to a teacher recently, yesterday, in fact, I think, who, and, and while he doesn't represent all teachers, it is certainly a point of view, um, he said that he and many of the teachers he, know, he knows would rather see uh, one student reduction in the class size mm. than the literacy coaches. Now, perhaps it's because the, you know, the plan hasn't started yet. People are, are, haven't seen how it's going to work. Um, and there, there's been some question, I, I think previously in North Carolina, we had something called literacy coaches that isn't the same as what we're talking about now. Um, but how would you respond to a teacher who, who says something like that to you?
1: I believe that that teacher's perspective would be based on the concept of reduced class size has an impact on teacher effectiveness. Now, that sounds correct. Sounds correct to me. Interesting to note that there's no data to support that. Now, I say that a little bit with my tongue in my cheek to this extent. If we could reduce class size, average class size, by four or five, sure. But we're talking about reducing class size by one or even two. What will be the net impact of that? Quite frankly, pretty negligible. Pretty negligible. If we could get four or five, sure. But realizing what that what that would take in available resources and recurring resources It's simply not in the cards. We would not have been able to afford a teacher raise that was really the first priority. So we had we took our available resources and said, "Okay, what's the best use of the money in order to achieve the goal? The goal is read by third grade into third grade. That's the goal. Here are our available resources. Are we better off to use it by reducing class size in one grade by one person? Or are we better off putting hands on help in the schools? Collaboration is one of the most critical keys to success in education. Kids learn collaboratively, collaboratively, teachers teach collaboratively. This has proved, it, been uh, proven by the success of the of the new teacher support program under the UNC system where they're getting uh, coaches in schools and not as many as we'd like, but they're getting coaches in schools to help all, help just the brand new teachers. We've got a lot of a lot of teachers that, that desperately want to help and support. They're looking for new ideas. They're looking for how do they deal with this specific problem or that specific problem. So expanding collaboration is one of the real keys to success in, in education. It's a key to success in business. It's a key to success in life. We learn from each other. That's why I think that the Senate will, will uh, embrace this concept of literacy coaches and in fact enhance it. And that's why I think that once teachers understand what it is we're actually trying to do here. You know, it's one thing to say, well, we're gonna, we're not gonna cut class size. We're gonna give you, we're gonna put some coaches in some schools. I'll take them to this class size. Oh yeah, let me explain that a little further. And then it's, oh, oh, that's what you mean. So let's see this play out and I think it'll play out well
0: last thing I want to ask you about is um, Opportunity Scholarships, which is a controversial program sure, in North Carolina, depending on, on where you're coming from. Um, so this budget does a couple things. One, it increases funding for special education Opportunity Scholarships, and um, the other thing it does is uh, increase the eligibility right. for both special education and regular Opportunity Scholarships. Could, could you talk, talk first about the expanded eligibility and, and who will qualify now that didn't qualify before?
1: Primarily, the expanded eligibility is targeted at our military kids, our kids from military families whose parents are deployed, uh, who, who move in and out of state, uh, who, whose needs are a little bit unique. They were uh, left out, if you will, of eligibility for our opportunity scholarships before. And we have, as you know, we have a very large military presence in this state not just in Cumberland County, around Fort Bragg, but uh, across the state. So that's we wanted to be able to, to continue our tradition of the most military-friendly state in the nation to move on from there. Uh, well, there was one other group and that is a, new people coming into the state. Uh, we didn't want to get too expensive. So you have to have six months residency before you're eligible. Then the other part where we expanded was kids with disabilities who, really weren't, they, they didn't get much attention in the, in, in uh, opportunity scholarships before they didn't get the extent attention they need. And we all know that teaching kids with disabilities is a is a special skill. Not every school is capable is set up to deal with kids with every disability. So those kids that need that extra help, and they can't get it where they are now will be eligible or more of those kids will be eligible to take advantage of an opportunity scholarship to put them so that they can go to a school that addresses their particular need. Okay.
0: And uh, the only other thing I wanted to say is, you know, for people who don't know much about the budget process, when when I talk about a budget being passed in the House today, what I'm actually talking about is this is a revision to the budget that was passed um, you know, during the last long session. This isn't a brand new budget. No. This is just changes to a budget that was already passed.
1: And that's, and frankly, I sometimes think that some of our own members don't understand that either. This was a, the, what we did today is pass adjustments to a budget that's already in place. We could have done absolutely nothing today, passed nothing, and we still have a budget for next year, for 16, 17. The budget's there. The purpose of short session is for us to come back, take a a second look at the budget in light of two things. What's changed? What's changed? Uh, Availability of money, needs. What's changed? And secondly, what new opportunities have we learned? What new things have we learned since we passed the budget? Those are what we addressed in in these amendments to an existing budget which is what we passed out of the House today and now goes to the Senate for their views on how to adjust the budget. All right, well Representative Porn, I appreciate you talking with me today. Well, thank you very much. I'm sorry I'm a little long-winded. I certainly am passionate about what we're doing in North Carolina. The future is very bright for our kids if we we continue to be innovative, creative, aggressive and seek out uh, new ways. Don't be afraid of failure. Get, let's get out there and and try new things that are gonna work for the kids. The most important part, student outcomes. So Alex, I appreciate the opportunity to explain what we've done today and a little background on it. Always appreciate the opportunity to be with you, my friend. Thank you.
0: That's always fun talking with you as well. Thanks. Been talking with Representative Craig Horn. He's a Republican representing Union County, and he is a chair on uh, both the House Education, uh, through 12 committee and the House Education Appropriations Committee.